right, folks. Let's find your seat. I don't have my normal slides for today. Things got mucked around a little bit today with the computer and stuff, so I apologise. I had a whole bunch of other scriptures I was going to give you today, but we don't have them available, but we'll get by. So why don't you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's one of those little books that Paul writes in about the middle of the New Testament. Been hearing increasing talk about the chaos that the world is in. And what um, what is a little disappointing with that is that Christians, more and more Christians are in a state of panic about what's happening, about what's going on in the world today, and we shouldn't be. We should be a people who are very secure and confident about the future because Jesus holds the future. Amen? No world government does. No king does. No worldly ruler does. Jesus does. And we need to be very, very confident in that and we need, to, we need to know what the future is going to hold for us. That doesn't mean that we have, you know, a little crystal ball that we can gaze into and then try and work out every little detail of our life. You know, that's why many people read their horoscopes, Christians included. <laughs> and they shouldn't, because the Bible actually specifically warns against that kind of thing. Shouldn't be. Why, why do people want to do that? Because they want to know what their future holds, and this is the primary reason, so that they can be in control of it. It's true. That is, that's the bottom line. People want to know what the future is so that they can be in control of it. Now, you have free will. So you have the ability and the authority to make decisions regarding your future. But people have a fear of the future because they don't know Jesus. And Christians who still get involved in all of that kind of stuff, they do so because they don't have a confidence about Jesus holding the future. They're still a little bit doubtful. Man, what's going to happen at the end of time? when I actually have to stand before God. And so there's this ingrained fear of, I'm just not sure what's going to happen. Is, am I going to be one of the lucky ones who gets a tick by my name and God approves of me? And so there's this fear about, is that going to happen or not? And so there's this desire, I actually really want to know the future so I can con control it and hopefully steer a path that God is going to then approve of. Do you know, all of that is just a total lack of faith in Jesus. Complete lack of faith in Jesus. So what ends up happening is people speculate about the future. We end up having all of these crazy, weird ideas that come, and in particular regarding the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, his glorious return. Do you know that Jesus said this in Matthew 24, he says, no one knows the hour or the day that I'm going to return. And yet there's thousands of books that are being written and blogs and everything where people are predicting exactly when Jesus is going to return. 
Christians who are making a fortune out of this, fooling people, confusing people about, well, this is when Jesus is going to come back, when Jesus expressly said, no one's going to know. <laughs> How much sense does that make? Are you alive today? I mean, think about how stupid that is. No one knows the hour or the day. And you've you got guys writing books saying, it's going to happen on this day. We know better than you, Jesus. Huh? We know better than you. We got more insight than you. <laughs> So we started last week by just looking at, instead of speculating, instead of having all of these weird conspiracy theories and ideas of what we think might happen, let's just go back to what Scripture says. And I would love to do a whole re-preach of the course we did a few years ago, but we just don't have time for that because that's going to be two months of teaching. You know, we, we just don't have the time to be able to do that before Christmas comes along. So I wanted to do, just look at what are some of the very specifics that we know are going to happen. What does the Bible clearly tell us in terms of Jesus' glorious return? Because that's what you can bank on. That's what at least you can say, hey, we know this is going to happen because this is what God declares to us. It's not some man-made idea, speculation. This is what scripture clearly tells us. All right, so that's what we looked at, and we looked at three of those things last week. But let's just read this portion of Scripture first. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll read from verse 13. It says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, ignorant about those who fall asleep. That means those who have died, your body has died. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Right? If you die in Christ, you're not dead. You're alive. Once you receive eternal life, you've got it. It's not eternal one day and then not eternal the next. That defeats the very meaning of the word. Right? You're alive in Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's good news. People were worried. Some people were worried that Jesus had already returned and they'd missed out. Others were confused as to whether Jesus was coming back at all. So Paul writes this letter and he finishes this little encouragement and he says these words, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We should take great courage about the fact that Jesus is coming back. Amen? So we looked at three things last week. We looked at the fact that when Jesus returns, he's not going to come back sneakily. He's going to come back in glory. 
everyone is going to know. Revelation 1, I think it's verse 7, says, Every eye will see him. Every eye will see. They will know. Jesus came in humility when he first came to this earth. But when he comes back, man, he's coming as a king in glory and in triumph and in victory. He's not going to sneak back onto the planet. He's not half coming as a halfway thing and then, you know, okay, don't tell everybody. We'll do that later. No, that's not what the Bible teaches us. He's coming back in glory with a shout and with the sound of a trumpet. That's going to be a glorious day. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. Not as an escape from this world, but just simply, I want to say, that is a glorious time. The dead in Christ will rise. <laughs> now, was Paul talking about every part of you? No, because if you do die, the part that dies at the, is your physical body. Right? This physical body dies. But your soul and your spirit continue to live. And if you're in Christ, then you've already got eternal life. So when he says that the dead in Christ will rise, he's talking about your physical body. It's going to change. Just as Jesus died and was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose, but he didn't rose with a normal human body. He rose with a resurrected body that is different. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. The third thing we looked at is, is that we will meet Jesus in the air. And this is where some confusion has come in over the time. People believe that Jesus comes back secretly. Not everyone's going to know. He's just going to halfway come back, snatch all the Christians off, and we're going to go off and live in heaven for seven years while there's terrible chaos on the world, in the, on the earth. And you can't actually see that in Scripture. In actual fact, it, Paul says in Corinthians 15, and we'll read this in a second, he says... That when Jesus comes back, we read it in Thessalonians, there's going to be a trumpet sound, right? We just read that. Paul says it's the last trumpet. On that last day, Jesus returns. At the last trumpet, right? And the problem with this idea that there's some secret rapture where Jesus halfway comes and takes people away, it happens with a trumpet sound. Paul says it's the last trumpet, but for all those who hold to dispensationalism, you know, premillennialism, don't worry if you don't understand what those words are, but um, in their view, in their convoluted ideas of what the future is going to turn out like, they have another seven trumpets of judgment that come after the last trumpet. How can it be the last trumpet if there's another seven? How can it be the last day Jesus comes on that last day? How can it be that last day if there's a whole lot of days afterwards? Very confused ideas that are out there and yet people just suck them up and believe them. Have to just hold to what scripture clearly teaches us. So, 
when it says there we're going to meet the Lord in the air, we are going to rise, supernaturally be taken up into the air as Jesus is coming down from heaven. And we, we are rising as a welcoming party to welcome him to the earth. And when Paul talks about that rising up, he's not saying we're going to rise up and then keep going. doesn't mention that at all. In fact, the Greek word that he uses specifically talks about the way that Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem when he, when he came. You can read it in the Gospels where people came out and they celebrated his coming. They recognized who he was. And they took palm branches and waved them and put things on the ground from their walk on. And they came out to welcome him and then brought him back into the city. And it's the same word. That's an exciting prospect. So we looked at those thing, three things quickly last week. Let's, let's look at a couple more. Verse 16, let's just read that again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord there, and we'll be with him forever. Something happens when Paul is talking about us rising He's talking about us not just floating in the air. He's talking about something that happens to this physical body. For those who have died, this, your, your body decays, turns to ash, turns to dust. For people who are still alive, something's going to happen to them. Their body is going to be immediately, instantly transformed into a brand new body. <laughs> and for those who have died, instantly you're going to receive a brand new body. How do we know? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Don't you love scripture? It's not dead and boring. It's actually really exciting when you read some of this stuff. 1 Corinthians 15 And verse uh, 42. Uh, let's read from verse 49. Maybe it's a little bit quicker. So 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 49. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but it's very, very similar to whatever you have, whether it's NIV or King James or whatever. It's almost the same. It says, Just as we are now like Adam the man of earth, so we will someday be like Christ, the man from heaven. Just think about that one little phrase. What a powerful thing that is. At the moment, we were just like the first man, Adam. But one day, we're going to be exactly like Jesus. Maybe you're not excited because you don't understand what that really is. 
What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about the fact that at the moment we are still living in a fallen body affected by original sin, by Adam's sin. We're living in a cursed world, in a corrupt world. And so we still have a body that is affected by that. That's why we still continue to age, get sick and die. So he's saying that kind of body cannot inherit the kingdom. Your spirit and your soul can, but your body can't. And do you know that we were created with a physical body to dwell on a physical earth? You know, the Greeks have this idea, and it's, in, it's infected Christian thought, is that your body is evil. It's not. The Gnostics believed that the only way that you could become holy and good is somehow you had to escape your physical body. And so their teachings were all revolved around getting some kind of special secret information so that your soul and your spirit could somehow float out of your body and you could leave the corruption of this evil thing behind so that you could become holy. You are body, soul and spirit and your body is no less important than your soul and your spirit. That's how God created us to be. If it wasn't important, and if it wasn't an intricate part of who you are meant to be, when Jesus rose from the grave, he would not have risen with a body. You get, this is some good theology here. That we, you've got to think this thing through a little bit. So that, that Greek idea that, that our body is evil and we've got to escape it is wrong. But what God wants to do is completely restore it and renew it how it should be. How it was meant to be. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. You know what it's like when you take a piece of meat and you leave it outside of the fridge for a few days? It starts to perish. It starts to rot. You know? Outside of God's design and plan for our whole being, we've actually started to rot. That's the, de the decay of our body. But let me tell you a wonderful secret. God has revealed to us, not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies, and then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. <laughs> We're all going to be changed. We're going to be instantly, in a moment, in the blink of an eye, Paul says, 
transformed to have a physical body that is different to what you've got now. That is 100% perfect. That is going to be an imperishable body compared to what we have now, which is a perishable one. It's going to be a body that is immortal compared to a body that we have now that is mortal. It's going to be a body that is um, incorruptible. This body is corruptible. It's going to be a body that is, um, how can I say, it is spiritually physical instead of just natural. You know, when Jesus came out of that grave with his resurrected body, Read what happened. He walked the earth for another 40 days. And read some of the things that happened with Jesus with that new spiritual but physical body. He walked through walls. Walked through a door without opening it. Suddenly appeared somewhere. It was like he was instantly transported from one place to another. I don't know about you, but I like to dream kind of crazy imaginary dreams as to what, it, what eternity is going to be like. This universe is incredibly vast. Our minds can't actually get around how big it is. I look forward to the day where I can just, I want to go to that planet. I don't have to get in a spaceship. I don't have to go into a state of suspended animation and sleep for 150 years to get there. I can just go and I'm going to be there. Oh, Tony, that's just childish stuff. No, it isn't. It isn't. I think that's, that's going to be some of the wonder of we're going to enjoy eternity. And if you think that you're just going to be in some kind of religious state where you're floating around in a cloud, playing a harp, just always, always singing some worship song to God, You've got a very narrow view of what eternity is going to be like. <laughs> I want to go exploring. We're going to have a body that is powerful instead of weak. A body that is glorious instead of a body that Sometimes is dishonourable to God, but a God that, but a but a body now that is glorious. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, verse twenty. He says, "But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours." And change them into glorious bodies like his own. And that's why Paul in, the, in Corinthians 15 is able to then go on and say things like, Death, where's your sting? Death, you, you've been swallowed up in victory. And that victory comes because of Jesus. Because of the eternal life that he gives us. But also because of this incredible hope that we have. That we are going to have a transformed body that is going to be exactly like him. Amen? That's good news, folk. That's not speculation. That is 
clearly what Scripture tells us. All right, what, what else is going to happen? Number five in our list um, is this. Is that, and people don't like this one, but we shouldn't be fearful of it, but the Bible says that God is going to judge every human being. Revelation 20 and verse 11 to 15 says this, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and all that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Is that talking about people who are physically dead? Are you dead? Are you dead? No. When your body dies, are you dead? So what does it mean to be dead? It means to be spiritually dead. It means to be dead to God. So this is talking about not you, because you're alive in Christ. This is talking about people who don't know Jesus. But there are other verses, we don't have time this morning to read them, to say that says we are all going to stand before God. And actually there is a judgment that's coming upon all mankind, good and bad. Believers and unbelievers. The problem is so many Christians have this fear of that. All of my, every single thing I've done is going to be exposed. And I've used this illustration before where we have this idea there's going to be this massive video screen in heaven and all of those secret things that you've ever done, every word you've said, every evil thought that you've had, everything that you've done behind closed doors or in the dark that you think no one knows about it, all of that is now going to be exposed and we're going to be shown to be what we really are and God is now going to judge us according to that. And it's an unfounded fear. If there is a big video screen, one of two things is going to happen. When your name comes up, right, Tony, I'd come and stand here. I'm standing before the throne of God. Everyone's watching. Play the tape. And the video goes on. What is going to be seen? One of two things are going to happen. Either what is shown is the life of Jesus superimposed over me, and I believe that's what's going to happen if there is such a thing, or if there are aspects of my life that are shown, it's going to be Jesus living through me. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's just say there's a third option. Let's just say that all the bad things I've ever thought and done do get shown. What does that mean? What is going to happen when, if, if that happens? What will happen? 
You know what it's going to show? The incredible grace of Jesus. The incredible grace of God. That no matter what gets shown up there, even if it's bad, what, is people, what are people actually going to become aware of? That the blood of Jesus has expunged all of that. That it's dealt with all of that. Completely. And we are just going to revel and glorify God and thank him and be so full of gratitude and amazement at his grace towards us. So it's never something that Christians should ever fear, however it plays out. Do I need to stand on this chair and start dancing or do something to wake everyone up? Listen to this. This is John, Jesus himself speaking. And he says this in John 5, 28. He says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves, he's talking about resurrection, all those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now, who are those who have done good? Is it people who have tried to live a good life? Well, Jesus actually gave us the answer just a couple of verses before. He says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life and will not be condemned. What is it to do good? It's to believe in Jesus. It's to put our faith in him. It's not, not behaviour stuff. It's not you trying to do all the right things. It's believing in him. And when you believe in him, guess what? You are declared good because you are declared righteous before him. Folk, again, that is great news. Amen? So what is the purpose of this judgment? What's actually going to happen? Well, it's not everyone standing before God and then all the evidence comes out and then God, okay, what am I going to do? What decision should I make? Because that's the way we think of judgment. We think of it as a kind of a court scenario where there's going to be, you know, all the evidence is going to be drawn up and then thrown out. No, this, the Bible actually says that if you believe, you stand free. But if you choose to reject Jesus, it actually says you are condemned already. So in a, in, in a re very real way, the judgment has already taken place. So what's going to happen on this day? Well, it's a day of vindication. That's what it is. It's a day of vindication. We put our faith in Jesus. Finally, that day is going to prove that we are vindicated. It's going to be grace for believers and justice for unbelievers because God is just and no one's going to be able to complain or argue about his judgment. They won't have an excuse. It's going to be a day of publication. In other words, everyone's destiny is going to be completely, totally revealed. And it's going to be a day of Execution. That doesn't mean that God's suddenly going to start killing people. It means that he's going to now enact 
the sentence. Right, you guys, life. You guys, there's another eternal destiny for you. Don't have time to teach on all of that. All right, last one, number six. It says this, we shall be with the Lord forever. We're going to be with him forever. You know, many Christians think that the earth is just a bus station and, uh, you know, they're hanging out waiting for the rapture bus to come to whip them, whisk them off of the earth, you know, and, uh, and that we're going to go to heaven. Heaven is going to be our permanent home and we're just hanging out to get there. They're desperate to get off of this planet and go and live in the clouds somewhere um, because they believe God's just going to come and he's going to completely destroy this evil world. Now, actually, the Bible talks about God renewing this world, making this world anew. It's hard for us sometimes to break the habit of thinking that heaven is up there, isn't it? It's, it's because it's what most of it comes out in our language all the time. But where is heaven? So Jesus says, talking about the kingdom, he says the kingdom has come. He says the kingdom is coming, but he says the kingdom is within you. Heaven is wherever the rule and reign of God is. That's what his throne is about. The throne of God is his rule and reign. It's, where his, it's his seat of authority. And as we submit to his lordship, his authority, his throne, his place of authority comes to dwell within us. Heaven is wherever God is. It's wherever God is. And so in a very real sense, there's an aspect of heaven that dwells within you and I already. Jesus said that. Revelation 21 says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and, and earth had passed away. That doesn't say it's going to be destroyed. It means there is a change of state. God is going to change the state of this, of this planet. Do you know it says that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to man. He has given it to us as a blessing. It is part of our future. So the idea that we're just not going to live on this planet, we're just going to float around in some heavenly cloud, is foreign to Scripture. He is going to come and restore this world. And then it says this in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God or the tabernacle of God is among Men, and he will dwell among them. It's going to wipe away every tear, every sorrow. There'll be no more sickness, no more crying, no more death, because the dwelling place of God has come to man. 
where it has come down from heaven to earth. And this earth is going to be completely made anew and restored. We're going to live on this planet with God. Now think about it. You, this is a, an entirely recreated, perfect planet. Why was man given a physical body? So he could engage with a physical earth. That's why you're going to have a brand new transformed body. So that you can continue to engage with a physical earth. But it's not going to be limited in the way that this old human body is. It's going to have whole new different characteristics so when people get caught up with the thing God's going to destroy the earth and then we're just going to go off and live in heaven haven't got a proper biblical picture of what's going to happen God is coming to restore this planet and we're going to enjoy eternity here but not be restricted to earth Uh, we've got to stop. So what does it all mean? There's a day of incredible victory that's coming where Jesus is going to physically, visibly return. Where the curse that came on the earth because of first Adam, because of his disobedience, is going to be completely undone. You know, the Bible says that Satan is being defeated, but it also says that he's still prowling around on the earth looking for those that he can devour. Jesus came and at the cross brought total healing, but we still live with sickness and disease. But there's a day coming <laughs> when all of that is going to change. When all of that is going to change. Amen? Death is going to be defeated completely. You know, many of us have buried uh, children or parents or spouses or friends. Families have been torn apart by death. But folk, when Jesus comes back, all of that is going to end. We suffer in our bodies with sickness and disease and pains and all kinds of ailments. Even though we believe and trust in, in, in God's healing power and we see many people healed. But a day is coming when sickness will never be able to touch you again. Disease will never be able to touch you again. Sin will never be able to touch you again. It will never corrupt this world again. <laughs> I'm looking for that, folk. That's something to look forward to. I'm not looking in a crystal ball trying to find out my future so I can control it. I am going to base my life on what Scripture says, and there is a glorious day coming that I am looking forward to. But I'm not sitting at a rapture bus stop trying to escape this world. Oh, it's getting so bad. No, I'm living with the kingdom in me, and wherever I go, I want that kingdom to come out to bring a change and to bring hope to those around us. Amen? I wish you would get excited as I do sometimes. You are. 
It's on the inside. I'm happy on the inside. So this glorious return of Jesus, folks, is not something to fear. It's not something to dread. It's not something to be worried about. It's something to look forward to and to celebrate. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. And so Paul says, comfort and encourage one another with these words. The king is coming. The king is coming. So are you comforted? <laughs> are you encouraged? Are you looking forward to that day? Or is there still elements of fear and dread that are lurking? We need to deal with all that stuff. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. But a, but a sound mind. A sa what is a sound mind? It's a mind that is based on scripture. It's a mind that is based on the truth of the word of God. It takes this revelation and it lives it. It breathes it. Amen? So be encouraged and don't let the fear of the future come and rob you. Not one second of enjoying life. And despite all the junk that's going on around us, you can enjoy life to the full. You can and you're meant to. You're meant to enjoy the good things that are around us and not look at the bad stuff. Just don't let it affect you. Don't let it rob you of your security. Live with that expectation of the king coming. Amen? Great. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, have a great week, guys.